0: Hello everybody and welcome to Eddie Hurst's podcast version of The War of the Worlds. It is me, Eddie Hurst, and you're here with my version of War of the Worlds. I mean, that's the... That's the title, innit? it? I don't, I don't know how at this point you've gotten to chapter 15 and you're still not clear on what we do. Think of it a bit like those remixes they used to do really famous songs in the 90s where all they do to it is add a drumbeat. Only instead of just adding a drumbeat, we're putting in an original score, lots of little asides, comedy sketches, a new musical comedy song inspired by each chapter, and we have lots of my personal comedy friends on and some fantastic musical comedians bringing on their own creations. Here we are, chapter 15. There's two chapters left until the end of book one. Ah. Uh, I'm sure you're all saying. What happens this time? It's chapter 15. What happened in Surrey? And what did happen in Surrey? Just have some patience. That's what the chapter's about. We have an absolute cavalcade of guests, which is exciting because I like saying the word cavalcade. Oh, yeah. Say it yourself. Go on. I'll give you a couple of seconds. <laughs> it feels good, right? Anyway, guests on. We've got the Lawmen podcast. Uh, so we had Alistair Becker King on in an earlier episode. Now we've got the other half of Lawmen, which is James Shakeshaft joining us. We've also. Got Got a fantastic guest song by Amelia Baylor and keen listeners might spot a little Tommy Burgess coming back as the curate so I shall not say any more about what to expect in this chapter I will say please give a rating and a review for the podcast on wherever you get your podcasts if you're listening on Spotify you cannot give it a rating on there it's very frustrating but if you head over to something like Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts you can do it on there you can follow me on Twitter on Instagram, on Facebook if you want I'm at Eddie Hurst and there'll be latest news there Or drop me an email, let me know what you're enjoying about the show, it's eddyhurst at gmail.com. Ado shall be taken no further, and let us begin. Chapter 15. What had happened in Surrey? It was while the curate had sat and talked so wildly to me under the hedge in the flat meadows near Halliford, and while my brother was watching the fugitive stream over Westminster Bridge, that the Martians had resumed the offensive. <laughs> Look, I know a lot of you might be getting confused, being like, hey, how does this add up? What day is this now? And I get it, I get it. But HG Wells actually put in a pretty tight timeline for figuring out where everything is. It, it really adds up if you go through it. Martians landed here by Thursday. People gathered around here on Thursday. He ray also came around on Thursday. Narrator ran away, fell asleep in a ditch, and now that is Friday fighting big and properly saturday, saturday. also went to leatherhead saturday lost a card hit at home with a soldier and that is saturday, saturday. Sunday. sunday went with the soldier to way bread. bread had a lunch of meat and biscuit sandwich, sandwich. martians attacked to the water we had stole the boat find a cure right now it's monday monday, monday. 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 So it's Monday. We're at, we're at Monday now. I, I I don't know about you, I found the, the London uh, the London digression a bit confusing for the time, so I hope that clears it up for you. So far as one can ascertain from the conflicting accounts that have been put forth, the majority of them remain busied with preparations in the Horsell pit until nine that night, hurrying on some operations that disengaged huge volumes of green smoke. But three certainly came out about eight o'clock, and, advancing slowly and cautiously made their way through Byfleet and Pyreford towards Ripley and Weybridge, and so came in sight of the expectant batteries against the setting sun. These Martians did not advance in a body, but in a line, each perhaps a mile and a half from his nearest fellow. They communicated with each other by means of siren-like howls, running up and down the scale from one note to another. It was this howling and firing of the guns at Ripley and St George's Hill that we heard at Upper Haliford. Just to let you know, uh, Upper Halliford, it's it's just below Heathrow Airport. So it's, kind of, it's pretty close to London now. The Ripley Gunners, unseasoned artillery volunteers who ought never to have been placed in such a position, fired one wild, premature, ineffectual volley and bolted on horse and foot through the deserted village, while the Martian, without using his heat ray, walked serenely over their guns, stepped gingerly among them, passed in front of them, and so came unexpectedly upon the guns in Painchill Park, which he destroyed... The St George's Hill men, however, were better led or of a better metal. Hidden by a pine wood as they were, they seemed to have been quite unsuspected by the Martian nearest to them. They laid their guns as deliberately as if they had been on parade and fired at about a thousand yards range. Just a quick shout out to the idea of metal, which is M-E-T-T-L-E. Uh, it, it's a sort of Victorian idea of, like, the stuff that you're made of. You know, like, you, you, what makes you, you? It, it's it, it's It's kind of, looking back, it's kind of a bit like a sort of toxic masculinity thing, you know it's like your core substance and what makes you worth value, so uh, I mean, just, just watch out for that sort of phrasing, that's just a heads up for that The shells flashed all around him, and he was seen to advance a few paces, stagger and go down Everybody yelled together, and the guns were reloaded in frantic haste The overthrown Martian set up a prolonged ululation, and immediately a second glittering giant answering him, appeared over the trees to the south. I had to read this a few times before recording it to figure out what the hymn meant in that. And it's, like, Wells means the Martian. The Martian is a a he, apparently, which just seems like a weird decision. Like, why bring gender into the Martians? Isn't it? They've got enough going on, right? They're like these weird octopus things. How does he know whether there are men or women on their planet? Seems a bit presumptive. It would seem that a leg of the tripod had been smashed by one of the shells, The whole of the second volley flew wide of the Martian on the ground, and, simultaneously, both his companions brought their heat rays to bear on the battery. The ammunition blew up, the pine trees all about the guns flashed into fire, and only one or two of the men who were already running over the crest of the hill escaped. After this, it would seem that the three took counsel together and halted. And the scouts who were watching them report that they remained absolutely stationary for the next half hour. The Martian, who had been overthrown, crawled tediously out of his hood. A small, brown figure. Oddly suggestive from that distance of a speck of blight.
1: Hi everybody, it's me, the Explaining lad. So blight is a thing that you find on leaves, uh, on on trees and plants and that sort of thing. So it's like a bit of brown that you have on on a green leaf. It's like a disease it's something that, that takes you over and affects you a, a little bit like how I feel my relationship with Suzanne did for me uh I don't know what happened I feel like I had a break from reality but me me mean me and mrs Ladd we're working through our issues now and it just feels great it feels like a big a big weight has been taken off my chest like I just went oh I uh, had a bit of a wobble which we're all allowed to uh, anyway, so that's Blight uh, and I'll, 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 I'll speak to you in a bit I've just got to go to a
0: counselling session And apparently engaged in the repair of his support About nine he had finished for his cow was then seen above the trees again Another thing about giving the Martian like a gender, it adds, adds a, a, a colour and a, a sort of personality to him that I, I wasn't quite expecting you know, I'm, I'm quite glad he's pulled through in a way you know, little, little guy Little brown bit of Blight that will be his name. Maybe we'll call him Little Blighter. Little Blighter! Yeah, that's, that's more detail than most of the soldiers have been given. It was a few minutes past nine that night when these three sentinels were joined by four of the Martians, each carrying a thick black tube. A similar tube was handed to each of the three, and the seven proceeded to distribute themselves at equal distances along a curved line between St George's Hill, Weybridge and the village of Send, southwest of Ripley. check the maths on that so four plus three equals seven and so how many black tubes will they need seven yeah it checks out he's done it again he's done it again the maths is solid a dozen rockets sprang out of the hills before them so soon as they began to move and warned the waiting batteries about ditton and escher at the same time four of their fighting machines similarly armed with tubes crossed the river and two of them black against the western sky came into sight of myself and the curate as we hurried wearily and painfully along the road that runs northward out of Haliford. They moved, as it seemed to us, upon a cloud, for a milky mist covered the fields and rose to a third of their height. Okay, uh, welcome back uh, to the Esher Arms. Uh, we've got the open mic poetry slam tonight, so please, without further ado, can I welcome our first poet to the stage? Okay, thank you. Hello, hello. They moved, as it seemed to us, upon a cloud. For a milky mist covered the fields and roused to a third of their yaons. Thank you. At this sight, the curate cried faintly in his throat <laughs> and began running. But I knew it was no good running from a Martian and I turned aside and crawled through dewy nettles and brambles into the broad ditch by the side of the road. He looked back, saw what I was doing, and turned to join me. I mean, the logic of not running that sound, but the narrator choosing to hide under the most flammable thing he could have found with, with creatures with heat rays, I, I'm not sure if that checks out. And also, I mean, listen, Curate, if you saw the narrator jumping off a bridge, I suppose you'd do that too. Have a think, mate. The two halted. The nearer to was standing and facing Sunbury, the remoter being a grey indistinctness towards the evening star, away towards Staines. The occasional howling of the Martians had ceased. They took up their positions in the huge crescent about the cylinders in absolute silence. It was a crescent with 12 miles between its horns never since the devising of gunpowder was the beginning of battle so still. To us, and to an observer about Ripley, it would have had precisely the same effect. The Martians seemed in solitary possession of the darkling night, lit only as if by the slender moon, the stars, the afterglow of the daylight and the ruddy glare from St George's Hill, and the woods of Payne's Hill. But facing that crescent everywhere, at Staines, Hounslow, Ditton, Escher, Ockham, behind hills and woods south of the river, and across the flat green meadows to the north of it. Wherever a cluster of trees or village houses gave sufficient cover, the guns were waiting. The signal rockets burst and rained their sparks through the night and vanished, and the spirit of all those watching batteries rose to a tense expectation. The Martians had but to advance into the line of fire, and instantly those motionless black forms of men, those guns glittering so darkly in the early night, would explode into a thunderous fury of battle. Yeah, because I mean that's worked out so well for the humans so far. No doubt the thought that was uppermost in a thousand of those vigilant minds, even as it was uppermost in mine, was the riddle. How much they understood us. Did they grasp that we and our millions were organised, disciplined, working together? Or did they interpret our spurts of fire, the sudden stinging of our shells, our steady investment of their encampment, as we should the furious unanimity of the onslaught in a disturbed hive of bees. Did they dream they might exterminate us? At that time, no one knew what food they needed. Oh, that's a weird thing to mention. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that won't turn up at any point later in the book. I'd just forget that fact about them them needing food to eat. I'm sure that won't, won't come up later. Absolutely uh, not important whatsoever. Don't even know why I'm bringing it up, to be honest. <laughs> A hundred such questions struggled together in my mind as I watched that vast sentinel shape. And in the back of my mind was the sense of all the huge unknown and hidden forces Londonward. Had they prepared pitfalls? Were the powder mills at Hounslow ready as a snare? Would the Londoners have the heart and courage to make a greater Moscow of their mighty province of houses?
1: And I understand that sometimes you feel like you're not being listened to, even though I'm I'm saying that I'm hearing you. Uh, Just a minute, sorry. Hey guys. So, uh, sorry, I'm just in the middle of the counting session. What Greater Moscow means is it's a reference to the Napoleonic Wars. So it's in the 1800s, the early 1800s. So uh, it's the French invasion of Russia around 1812, the early 1800s, when uh, Napoleon went in uh, to attack to attack the Russians to try and take it over. And what happened in Moscow was that a lot of the population left the houses; they just all left their home upsticks and ran for because they knew that the French were coming and going to take it over. So if they could leave that to stop them and keep them back, they could reinforce the military and create more of a base to push the uh, push the French troops back. Okay, now I really have to go. What do you mean I don't give you space? I prioritise you.
0: Then, after an interminable time, as it seemed to us, crouching and peering through the hedge, came a sound like the distant concussion of a gun. Another nearer, and then another. And then the Martian beside us raised his tube on high and discharged it, gun-wise, with a heavy report that made the ground heave. The one towards Staines answered him, There was no flash, no smoke, simply that loaded detonation. I was so excited by these heavy minute guns following one another that I so far forgot my personal safety and my scalded hands as to clamber up into the hedge and stare towards Sunbury. As I did so, a second report followed, and a big projectile hurtled overhead towards Hounslow. I expected at least to see smoke or fire, or some such evidence of its work. But all I saw was the deep blue sky above, with one solitary star, and the white mist spreading wide and low beneath. And there had been no crash, no answering explosion. The silence was restored. The minute lengthened to three.
1: What has happened?
0: Said the curate, standing up beside me. Heaven knows, said I. Absolutely delicious. Even when they're seeing an unknown weaponry being used by Martians the narrator still finds a way to take the Lord's name in vain to wind the curator up honestly. It is the most simmering resentment. A bat flickered by and vanished. (gasps) Batman? A distant tumult of shouting began and ceased. I looked again at the Martian and saw he was now moving eastward along the riverbank with a swift, rolling motion. Every moment I expected the fire of some hidden battery to spring upon him. But the evening calm was unbroken. The figure of the Martian grew smaller as he receded. And presently, the mist and the gathering night had swallowed him up. By a common impulse, we clambered higher. Towards Sunbury was a dark appearance, as though a conical hill had suddenly come into being there, hiding our view of the farther country. And then, remoter across the river, over Walton, we saw another such summit. These hill-like forms grew lower and broader, even as we stared. Moved by a sudden thought, I looked northward, and there I perceived a third of these cloudy black copies had risen.
1: And I just promise that I will never take you for granted again. Sorry, just one moment. Hey, guys, so a copy, well, it's actually, apparently it's a South African word. It it means like a small hill, like a cone area. So basically, it's just another word to describe the sort of conical hills that you've seen. Okay, I'll get back to a... Why as I said, oh, yeah, you will come
0: second for no one. Everything had suddenly become very still. No, it hadn't, you liar. It's been really still for loads of this. You're playing with the timing, all of this. It's all about the tension and the stillness that you're not expecting. Dear brain. Far away to the southeast, marking the quiet, we heard the Martians hooting to one another. And then the air quivered again with the distant thud of their guns. But the earthly artillery made no reply. Now at the time we could not understand these things, but later I was to learn the meaning of these ominous copies that gathered in the twilight. Maybe it's just me speaking from the point of view of somebody who has to make all of the sounds and score this, but this chapter's had a lot of noises in it so far. I feel like more noise and more description of noise, especially from the Martians, as we have in previous chapters. And with that in mind, I thought it'd be a good idea to invite my personal comedy friends, trademark, The Lawmen podcast, uh, both of them this time, so Alistair and James, to share with us some of the many spooky sounds that exist within folklore that they've studied. So here we go.
2: Hello, um, my name is Alistair Beckett-King and I am one half of the Lawmen podcast.
3: And I'm James Shakeshaft and I am the other half of said Lawmen podcast.
2: And it's a pleasure to
0: have you both on, thank you,
2: because uh,
3: Alistair you've been on already
0: uh, uh, and it's great to have you here James so thanks for joining us. Thank you for
2: having me. I love I love saying thank you for having me because it really makes me think that like um, like a party bag is coming, <laughs> Yeah, sure. you know like at, at the end of a kid's party. <laughs> like a, a little bag with a slice of cake and maybe a small sort of kinder egg style Ooh, yeah. tour. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's... Still, we've got that to look forward This to. is a check I cannot cash. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, oh. Are you saying there's not a party bag at the end uh, probably...
0: I mean, if you have one on your person... Yes. Uh, <coughs> just <laughs> carry it around. You can't,
2: you can't BYO party bag. I'm sorry. You <laughs> can't party your own bag. That's not being a good host.
0: <laughs> when does a bag start being... Does it, it has to be given out at a party, doesn't it? That's... it, it but, yes. But it can't just be a backpack. That you're giving it a party. No, it can't be a duffel
3: bag. <laughs> yeah. A cake. It can't, it can't be, be Sainsbury's branded, like just an orange <laughs> carrier for everyone. Yeah.
0: You guys are well, I'm gonna say this and then I know you're gonna refute it as your
2: modest men. You're experts in folklore.
3: Yes, exactly right.
2: Yeah, we are going to refute that. Um we <laughs> are we are comedians who talk about folklore on the internet and um Yeah, I you don't really need any qualifications to get on the internet they let anyone do it
0: sorry i've never heard of anyone not being an expert on the internet so this is
2: completely (laughs) new
0: to me
3: no i like reading pamphlets like that cost about two pounds from um a little sort of tourist shop and that's where i get most of my information from not just about folklore
0: (laughs) (laughs) the chapter that i'm doing at the moment there's a lot of noises going on in it and i know that Uh, That sounds strange because it is.
3: (laughs) (laughs) When I was a kid and I got my first Walkman, I had a tape of Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds and I would listen to it because I enjoyed speech stuff and I liked stories, so I'd listen to it for the story but would always give myself nightmares with the noise of the aliens Mm. Um that was so terrifying. The May I? Yeah, please do. Please do.
2: <laughs>
0: Get ready for your mind to be blown, because in the book, rather than ooloo, it's aloo. what? That's, that's the opposite. It's, it's a cool chapter, uh, because you've got the Martians talking to one another, rather hmm? than just doing the alert noise. So they speak in siren-like howls to each other. Oh, uh, God. Hmm,
2: That's something that's quite that's quite
3: scary that's terrifying
2: i I live in south london and the people around here are quite similar (laughs) what are the best noises that you guys have heard in
0: folklore because hg wells must obviously in his life he had experience of noises but in the literary world and in the world of of tales being told he must have had some idea of noises and strange noises moreover that could could make human bones shiver at the mere
3: thought of it
2: oh yes i i I just mentioned banshees. That's quite a famous one.
3: Yeah, the 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 sirens.
0: Yeah, of course,
2: of course. Yeah. The uh, the the ladies got those in South London as well. <laughs> <laughs> the one that
3: instantly sprang to mind, which sounds quite similar, is uh, there's a small village called Mickleton. And that has a phenomena called the Mickleton Hooter. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Mickey hoots.
3: Yeah, Mickey hoots.
2: <laughs> What's the noise? No one knows
3: what is the Mickleton Hooter. It's a hooting noise, right? Sure, that um, makes most no sense. Uh, in the town of Mickleton, um, some pe- some say it's uh, caused because there's like a valley, and the wind going through the valley makes this hooting noise. Other people think it's I think the ghost of a cow. Or the ghost of a man that killed a cow uh,
2: i like this so, so there's no evidence of the hooter there's no evidence of the hooter itself the the existence of the hooter has been inferred from from the sound of the hooting yeah you hear a hoot there must be a hooter have have they heard of owls
0: <laughs> i mean i don't want to you know like i i love the idea of a ghost cow i'm more for personally i'd rather that be the case but it does seem like an an owl is
2: the most famous hoot that i know all right, if you think you can explain that supernatural occurrence, I have what I think you'll agree is a equally terrifying sound. Um, well, in fact, I can think of two. Um, one of them is uh, the the Pelton Bragg from I think the first episode of Lawmen, who who set up a great nicker and whinny. So imagine the sound of a horse that was a ghost. What did it sound like? It sounded like a horse. That's pretty spooky. But my, but. Uh, my my favourite noisy spirit is Jeff the Talking Mongoose.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Of course.
2: Obvious, obvious uh, easy shoe in Jeff the Talking Mongoose. Yeah. And yeah. he's he's sort of a sort of a Ron Seal supernatural occurrence in that really you you are getting what it sounds like you're getting <laughs> like he's called Jeff. He's a mongoose that talks. You could, you, you could
3: put Cocky into that name. And that would still. Yeah. He's a cocky. He was also
2: transdimensional yeah. and Indian for some reason.
3: Yeah, he was the. F- he was. He <laughs> was the fifth dimension.
2: <laughs> he wa It's a bit. It was a bit racist the way I said Indian for some reason, as if you need a reason to be Indian, as if the millions <gasps> of Indian people are like uh, Indian for some reason. So, <laughs> as if that's a uh, weirdly arbitrary decision to be Indian. Sorry about that, Indian people. And Jeff, the talking mongoose. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> and well, we'll be hearing from him. <laughs> we were, but in none of our impressions of him will we be doing an Indian accent. Just <laughs> mm. uh, although I think, as far as we know, since he lived on the Isle of Man, he spoke with an Isle of Man or Manx accent. Mm. Sure, sure. But we we learned about him from Pianavelli, So if we try and do it, we're going to come out South African, and then we're back to racism.
1: <laughs> so let's just leave it. <laughs>
2: Um, so, are, are there any other are there any other noises
0: um, that you that you think of? Like, what would what would for you be the scariest noise to hear? Because this is meant to be like a terrifying noise. Mm. Um, and ghouls and such—they're all quite a distance away. Mm. I think seems to be the recurring theme of a lot of folklore. Mm. It,
2: yeah, it, it's, it's often music. It, it's often this, the noise is sort of an alluring noise, mm. and then like the sirens, and then you get you know, then you get caught. Yeah. So a lot of them, you know, a lot of water spirits sit playing instruments by by streams and rivers until mm. you get pulled under.
3: My friends uh, had an incident with a beast uh, which became nicknamed the sh- the the snuffling beast of Lidstone, and I think that was quite a scary noise. Uh, I feel
2: like I, I should jump in here because I've I've heard your investigative report into that, James. Yeah, and, <laughs> um, uh, it's still on the record. And, well, based on based on my. Critical reading of the text. I think a certain amount of drugs were involved in that story as well. I'm saying I think there's a pattern here. Yeah.
3: (laughs) 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 It was that. It was. Was it it the beast? The
2: beast approacheth. The beast
3: approacheth from the darkness, though, coming towards you in a country lane on a on a on a jet black night.
2: yeah, what what could it be? What, what animal could make a?: In the countryside stand in, in, on a country lane at night. in the countryside, it's impossible to imagine. The jury's out.
0: The ju- there isn't
2: even a jury. That's the mm. terrifying part of this. There is, there is no legal Stop.
0: legal <laughs> action to be taken.):
2: <laughs> the, the ombudsman is on, on call. a different mystery.: Sorry. The alderman is indisposed. He's twisted his ankle on the moors. You're on your own. The bailiff? You're joking. (laughs) He's in the lockup over by the big house. No one can help
3: him. (laughs) It's just you and the beast. Yeah, you just got a gavel and.
0: (laughs) Look, guys, thank you so much for for coming on. Um, I, I feel a lot more educated on the world of noise. <laughs> and what noises
2: to watch out for mm. Well, uh, you, you shouldn't but uh, I think we provided nothing of educational value but it has been delightful Thank you for having us Each of
0: the Martians, standing in the Great Crescent I've described has discharged by means of the gun-like tube he carried a huge canister over whatever hill, copse, cluster of houses or other possible cover for guns chanced to be in front of him Some fired only one of these, some two. As in the case of the one we had seen, the one at Ripley is said to have discharged no fewer than five at the time. These canisters smashed on striking the ground. They did not explode and incontinently disengaged an enormous volume of heavy, inky vapour coiling and pouring upwards in a huge and ebony cumulus cloud, a gaseous hill that sank and spread itself slowly over the surrounding country. And the touch of that vapour The inhaling of its pungent wisps was death to all that breathes. Black Black smoke! It was heavy, this vapour, heavier than the densest smoke, so that, after the first tumultuous uprush and overflow of its impact, it sank down through the air and poured over the ground in a manner rather liquid than gaseous, abandoning the hills and streaming into the valleys and ditches and watercourses even as I have heard the carbonic acid gas that pours from the volcanic clefts is wont to do. And where it came upon water some chemical action occurred and the surface would be instantly covered with a powdery scum that sank slowly and made way for more. The scum was absolutely insoluble and it is a strange thing, seeing the instant effect of the gas, that one could drink without hurt the water from which it had been strained. The vapour did not diffuse as a true gas would do, It hung together in banks, flowing sluggishly down the slope of the land and driving reluctantly before the wind. And very slowly it combined with the mist and moisture of the air, and sank to the earth in the form of dust. Save that an unknown element, giving a group of four lines in the blue of the spectrum, is concerned, we are still entirely ignorant of the nature of this substance. (laughs) if any of you study atomic physics listening, you may be like, well, yeah, of course, I understand what the uh, what the, what the, the four lines in a blue of a spectrum means, but I had no idea what that means, and I'm assuming I'm not the only one doing that. I mean, at least I hope I'm not the only one. Anyway, I went away, and it, fin- it turns out that the uh, it, it's part of a thing called the Barmer series, so a scientist called Johann Barmer came up with this visible spectrum from which you can look at hydrogen atoms. So on the left is blue, and on the right is red, and there are these different spectrums of strands to show the different atomic structure of an element. An element being like the basic material that you can get, you know, like gold, silver, frankincense, meh, no, not the last two. So basically it means that they don't know what it is, and he's using the science of the day to be like, oh well, unless we can use a science experiment to figure it out, we're gonna be not knowing what it is, right? Which is peak wells. Once the tumultuous upheaval of its dispersion was over, The black smoke clung so closely to the ground, even before its precipitation, that 50 feet up in the air, on the roofs and upper stories of high houses and on great trees, there was a chance of escaping its poison altogether, as was proved even that night at Street Cobham and Ditton. Hey, everybody, come on, get off Street Cobham. Everyone from Ditton, look, their gas weapons are crap. I think we're going to win this, apart from all the death that's happened as a result of the gas when it immediately fell. Oh, uh, right, that's a bit disrespectful, sorry. The man who escaped at the former place tells a wonderful story of the strangeness of its coiling flow and how he looked from the church spire and saw the houses of the village rising like ghosts out of its inky nothingness. For a day and a half he remained there, weary, starving and sunscorched. The earth under the blue sky against the prospect of the distant hills of velvet black expanse with red roofs, green trees and, later... Black veiled shrubs and gates, barns, outhouses and walls, rising here and there into the sunlight. It was a wonderful story. My wife and children, dead. Me, trapped in a house. But that was at Street Cobham, where the black vapour was allowed to remain until it sank of its own accord into the ground. As a rule the Martians, when it had served its purpose cleared the air of it again by wading into it and directing a jet of steam upon it. Yeah, you know, to be honest, that's pretty considerate of the Martians. You know, they're, they're all right. They're cleaning as they go. That's, that's, it's, it's plight, if nothing else. You don't see humans doing that when they attack somewhere, do you? No, the Red Cross have to come in afterwards most of the time. I'm going to chug that up as a win for the Martians, so I'm going to put Martians 4, humans 0. This they did with the vapour banks near us as we saw in the starlight from the window of a deserted house at Upper Haliford, whither we had returned. From there we could see the searchlights on Richmond Hill and Kingston Hill going to and fro, and about eleven the windows rattled, and we heard the sound of huge siege guns that had been put in position there. These continued intermittently for the space of a quarter of an hour, sending chance shots at the invisible Martians at Hampton and Ditton, and then the pale beams of the electric light vanished, and were replaced by a bright red glow. Then the fourth cylinder fell. A brilliant green meteor, as I learned afterwards, in Bushy Park. Before the guns on the Richmond and Kingston line of hills began, there was a fitful cannonade far away in the southwest, due, I believe, to guns being fired haphazard before the black vapour could overwhelm the gunners. So, setting about it as methodically as men might smoke out a wasp's nest the Martians spread this strange, stifling vapour over the London Wood Country. <coughs> the animals humans are compared to this chapter is bees and wasps. Bees and wasps. Thanks, bees and wasps. <coughs> the horns of the crescent slowly moved apart, until at last they formed a line from Hanwell to Coombe and Malden. All night through, their destructive tubes advanced. After the Martian at St George's Hill was brought down, Did they give the artillery the ghost of a chance against them? Wherever there was a possibility of guns being laid for them unseen, a fresh canister of the black vapour was discharged, and where the guns were openly displayed, the heat ray was brought to bear. We've had an excellent mention of Wells's encyclopedic knowledge from the southwest into London. Uh, it's always a treat to hear that. And with that, I thought I'd introduce our guest musical comedian for the today. So, this chapter we have Amelia Baylor, who is a Glaswegian-based musical comedian who does sort of rave, pop punky, electro stuff. And it's a really great song. Uh, we have a little chat of her and then we'll hear it afterwards. Thank you so much for making a song for the show. It's it's amazing. It is a legitimate banger. You do you do music that's com like musical comedy, but also within the pop punk genre like that you wouldn't necessarily say is musical comedy even though it's funny
4: mm. um
0: how do you approach making a song
4: so there's a few different ways actually like sometimes like so i actually i've started doing like a twitch stream where i make songs live on the stream and that's really helped me to like make the process like quite quick because normally i'll be doing it on the stream there's people watching and sometimes there's two ways that i mainly write musical comedy and that is either i'll just sing to myself like a little hook so i wrote a song about wimpy on the show and it's one of my favorite songs i've written live on the stream and i just was like oh wouldn't it be funny if there's a song about wimpy and i was like where do you wanna go for breakfast wimpy 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 (laughs) (laughs) And like I think that's the best way to write comedy yeah. songs sometimes is writing a hook without the music. Yeah, sure. Sometimes the the low key, quite cheesy sounds on Garage Band lend themselves really well to like musical comedy. Um but yeah, so sometimes I'll start by coming up with a melody and then working out what that melody is afterwards in Garage Band. Sure, or yeah, yeah. I make the actual backing track first by using the same, I always use 80s backbeat because it's just really simple. And then I'll get like a synth and I'll come up with a little dee D, 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 D kind of thing. And then I'll loop that like eight times. And then after that, I'll just come up with a melody, like super love it <laughs> so much or something like shout, it. just something really dumb for me. Like the sorry song, I was thinking I'll make it like, because the, you said, okay, I've sent you a chapter take inspiration from the chapter the first line or the title of it was what happened in sorry and i thought that's like what happens in vegas so i'm going to make it like yeah. sorry is like las vegas and like this yeah. stuff is happening in sorry i don't know and then i just sort of like went <laughs> from there
0: i wanted to ask you so a lot of your a lot of your live like like you're saying your twitch streams and stuff is snacks as you have snack you're big on snacks pizza yes please <laughs> more pizza all right (laughs) in the book they actually talk about snacks (gasps) um they they don't call them snacks but they have to take provisions at a point and the food that they chose to take is salted meat and
1: biscuits
0: (laughs) what would you take if you had to leave your house to escape from martian invasion
4: i would take you know those um white chocolate dipped ureos (laughs) 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 what am i saying oreos (laughs) (laughs) why am i saying Urios? i saw them in home bargains the other day and i once bought them when i was in paris darling but i thought that you could only get them in like i don't know i thought you could only get them when you're abroad but turns out they saw in paris yeah weirdly i was (laughs) like i've only seen these in paris darling but they're in my (laughs) local home bargains so i go there stock up on like four boxes of them i think would be enough Do I need a secondary one? Maybe I would also take drumstick squashies. They are the best sweet ever. I'm like, they're very new and I'm just excited that it was our generation. Do you know what I mean? Like they could have arrived on this universe when we'd died already, but they didn't.
0: Uh, Have you ever been to Surrey?
4: Yes! Yes, I have. So (laughs) never
0: heard someone so excited to go to Surrey because
4: I used to as a kid. So I moved to Scotland when I was nine, but I used to live in Wimbledon. God, Ah, I sound so edgy. Hi, I'm Amelia, and I'm from Wimbledon. (laughs) God, Um, I can't believe I used to open gigs in Glasgow with that and wonder why I died on my ass. What happened in Surrey? It all kicked off in Surrey. Sorry was mentioned in a War of the Worlds chapter. So sorry is really cooler. Someone said, Where you going on holiday? And I said, Oh sorry. And they said, You're sorry for what? I said, no, I'm genuinely going to sorry on holiday. because it once was mentioned in a chapter of War of the Worlds, so it's cool. What happened in Surrey? It all kicked off in Surrey. A very boring Wikipedia page, but still we're gonna go there to spend the day. Sometimes people say, like, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Well, what happens in Surrey stays in sorry
0: <laughs> by midnight the blazing trees along the slopes of richmond park and the glare of kingston hill threw their light upon a network of black smoke blotting out the whole valley of the thames and extending as far as the eye could reach and through this two martians slowly waded and turned their hissing steam jets this way and that they were sparing of the heat ray that night either because they had but a limited supply of material for its production, or because they did not wish to destroy the country, but only to crush and overawe the opposition that they had aroused. In the latter aim, they certainly succeeded. Sunday night was the end of the organised opposition to their movements. After that, no body of men would stand against them. So hopeless was their enterprise. Even the crews of the torpedo boats and destroyers that had brought their quick-firers up the Thames refused to stop, mutinied and went down again. The only offensive operation men ventured upon after that night was the preparation of mines and pitfalls, and even in that their energies were frantic and spasmodic. One has to imagine, as well as one may, the fate of those batteries towards Esher, waiting so tensely in the twilight. Survivors there were none. One may picture the orderly expectation, the officers alert and watchful, the gunners ready, the ammunition piled to hand, the limber gunners with their horses and wagons, the group of civilian spectators standing as near as they were permitted, the evening stillness, the ambulances and hospital tents with the burned and wounded from Weybridge, then the dull resonance of the shots the Martians fired. And the clumsy projectile whirling over trees and houses and smashing amid the neighbouring fields. I just want to take a minute to recognise what a what a scene he's painted there. That is like like look. I'm putting I'm putting my uh, my sarcasm and 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 my irony in a box to just earnestly say that's like really good, innit? It's good, great work. Thumb, thumbs up, thumbs up there. I think this deserves to be a classic. One May picture, too, the sudden shifting of the attention, the swiftly spreading coils and bellyings of that blackness advancing headlong. Towering heavenward, turning the twilight to a palpable darkness. A strange and horrible antagonist of vapour striding upon its victims. Men and horses near it seen dimly, running, shrieking, falling headlong. Shouts of dismay, the guns suddenly abandoned, men choking and writhing on the ground and the swift broadening out of the opaque cone of smoke, and then night, an extinction of nothing but a silent mass of impenetrable vapour hiding its dead. I mean, that paragraph was even better than the one before. You're on
2: a roll, Herbie G.
0: Before dawn, the black vapour was pouring through the streets of Richmond, and the disintegrating organism of government was, with a last expiring effort, rousing the population of London to the necessity of flight. And there you have it, guys. Chapter 15. Do you think they're going to get to London? I don't know. They seem seem pretty keen on it. Let's, uh, let's have a look at what the next chapter's called. Uh, the Exodus of London. Right, so they're probably... I'm pretty sure they're going to get to London. And that's going to be pretty action-packed, I'm sure. So thank you so much for listening to this chapter. And I can't wait to see you with the next one. Big thank you to everybody who was on this episode. We had Tom Burgess. You can follow him at tomb underscore urges on Twitter. He also has a fantastic podcast he's making with retired children's TV producer Peter Fleming. He's just finished the first series and it is amazing. Thank you to Amelia Baylor for that fantastic song, What Happened in Surrey. And also you had a little sneaky peek of the sort of music that she makes on her Twitch streams. You can follow her on uh, Instagram, Twitter, Twitch. It's all Amelia Baylor. There'll be a little link in the notes, so be sure to check it there. She also has a Patreon you can subscribe to. Speaking of Patreons you can subscribe to, Law Men Podcast as well. Thank you very much to Alistair Becker King and James Shakeshaft for coming along and talking all of the spooky noises of your. So Lawmen Podcast, which is out every week. It's really funny and also an insight into British superstition. Now you can follow them at Lawmen Pod on Twitter. You can also follow Alistair Beckett King at Mr. ABK. he has got very funny videos he does on there where he talks about being a hat nonce all the time. And there's also the other half, the yin to the yang of Lawmen, which is James Shakeshaft at James Shakeshaft. Lastly, Please do rate and review the podcast on whatever app you have and share it on social media. I'd have a patron for this. It it takes hours of work and it means the world to me that you guys are listening. And I'd love to have more people listening to it too. Please share the word out for it. You can follow me at Eddie Hurst on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook uh, to get with the latest dates. Again, send me an email if you want, eddiehurst at gmail.com. And thank you so much. I'll see you next time for Chapter 16, The Exodus from London.